Blog Talk Radio. The Purple Angel. Providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having everyday conversations like we're going to have here on the radio platform, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas and the isolation that is attached to memory loss and help people living with the disease live with purpose. Together, We can help everybody have a better understanding of the true needs of this disease. At our core, we feel really strongly about collaborative efforts and feel that that's really the only way that we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know it's working because all of you have been so kind to like us and click us, click on us and share and tweet um, and, and share these episodes with your circle of friends and colleagues. And why that is so important, even though it just takes you a second to do that, is because you never know who in your circle needs this information next. And so I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you've put in, even if you think that it's not much work, by doing those likes and shares because... We were named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz, and that surely would not have happened without all of your support and all of your kind efforts. So, again, you are making a big difference. Um, you know, every four seconds, somebody in the world is getting diagnosed with this disease, and we have to come together to be able to come up with proper solutions um, in terms of how to deal with this disease. Today, I hope you'll join our conversation. And you can do that in a couple of fashions. You can actually call into the radio show, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And all you have to do is push one, and then I'll see that you're in my queue, and I'll know that you're there. Otherwise, you can use our chat box. I will be monitoring that throughout the show. So um, just type in your questions and comments, and um, and we'll we'll pull those in and get your voice heard. 
Now, before I introduce our first guest, I always just like to make some acknowledgments to some organizations and movements that I think are extremely important. Um, The first I want to mention is the Purple Angel Project, which is the new global symbol for dementia. If you're not aware of that, please check that out. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and go to our About page, and we have... Um, a tab all about the Purple Angel Project, and I would love to talk to you offline or on the second half of the show during open mic, we can discuss this project as well. Many people are, uh, you know, contacting me wanting to know where they can get support, and they're looking for Alzheimer's associations all over in the world. And so for that, I think the easiest mode to um, for people to look is just to go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the organization that kind of coordinates all of the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So you'll be able to see which organization is closest to you, plus there's tons of global information on that site. They just had another meeting with the the G7. Mark uh, Wartman, the executive director, was on our show not too long ago. So there's lots of lots of great information there. Um, there is also the Alzheimer's Studies. Um, Group, which has a couple of clinical trials going on right now. One is in its third trial for tau. Um, the other is a fairly new trial for frontal temporal lobe. And you can go to all the Alzheimer's Studies dot com, or you can go to the Alzheimer's Team on Facebook and find them. Um, and then if you're looking for more a more holistic approach, um, check out the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. In fact, we just posted one of their articles um, on our blog about exercise, which has gotten a lot of activity, um, not only on the blog, but through private emails as well as LinkedIn groups, just kind of been bouncing off the wall, walls on the importance of of exercise when it comes not only to dementia, but for all of us in taking care of ourselves. The Lewy Body Association um, and the Frontal Temporal Lobe and the National Aphasia Association all target different types of of symptoms of dementia. And so, you know, if you're dealing with any of those, I would highly recommend that you go to those individual sites as well. And then a few things on kind of the social aspect. Um, if you're not familiar with the memory cafes, again, on alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our About page. There is information on the, these um, social support groups that have been over in the UK for some time, but have just been with us <clears throat> the past couple of years, and they're really starting to catch on and grow. There's probably about 100 of them in the US. It's hard to track all of them because they're really almost volunteer-based. Um, and people are very busy. If you like music or your person with dementia likes music, check out Choral Health. They have a program called Music First. It's actually a portable app that you can get as well. And it's like a music prescription. Music is so powerful and helps us change our mood. So it can help with uh, getting people to eat, getting people to wake up, go to sleep, um, you know, get in a better mood, all of those types of things. And then Puzzle With Me is just a a great puzzle designed specifically for adults with dementia. Jiminy Wicket is a social 
uh, interaction piece along with education, and that basically is a croquet game that's been adapted. Families can use it. Um, group homes or care facilities uh, can use it very easily. Uh, they bring it into schools and educate the kids, and they team a person with dementia up with uh, with someone. So it's a one-on-one um, great, great activity that uh, that takes place. So let me go ahead and uh, introduce a couple people to you here. First, I'm going to go ahead and pull in Michelle. Michelle Rimmold is a intern of ours on Alzheimer's Speaks, and she's dipping her toe into the the radio uh, portion of what we do. How are you doing today, Michelle? Good. Well, that's good. I'll go ahead and introduce our our official guest here, who is Cameron. Camp, uh, who is a Ph.D. He is a noted psychologist who currently serves as the Director of Research for the Center for Applied Research in Dementia. Dr. Camp gives workshops on designing cognitive and behavioral interventions for dementia on an international basis. Um, his research has been funded by grants from the National Institute of Health, known as NIH, and also the National Alzheimer's Association. So welcome, Dr. Camp. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we are really excited to have you. Before I, I get into our, our formal uh, kind of line of questions here, I always like to ask people, have you been personally touched by dementia with you know either family or a close friend? Well, uh, my mother-in-law has Alzheimer's disease, and we've been in-home caregivers. Uh, we've also uh, worked uh, with family members in terms of going through the journey and doing final decisions about placement into a nursing home, uh, how to continue to maintain relationship uh, with the resident in a nursing home and uh, how to have better visits uh, with a person uh, with dementia. So uh, we're still in that journey ourselves, and uh, this is something that's uh, uh, close and personal to us. Okay, okay. Well, it's always interesting for us to 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 know a little background because it's you know some people you know like myself um, have been on this journey for a long, long time, personally touched. Others, it can be through work, and and some just kind of fall into it, and they're they're not quite sure how they landed in this space. Yeah. And so it's just it's always nice to get a little little bit of background. Well, let's start out talking about the Montessori method of education. Um, you've translated the Montessori method of education as a way of working with pe- people with dementia. Can you explain what exactly is the Montessori method and how and why does it work with people with dementia? Sure. Uh, one of the first things to, to dispel is the idea that uh, if you use this approach, you treat a person with dementia as if they were a child. Uh, that is not the case. Um, the Montessori method is founded on a set of very uh, critical values, and those involve treating every person, uh, regardless of uh, age, uh, with respect, dignity, and equality. And so the idea is how to enable uh, caregivers, and uh, both professional as well as uh, a non-professional, to be able to live these values as they interact with a person with dementia. 
Um, the second thing is that her approach involves um, a rehabilitation perspective. So it was not only a way of uh, uh, education, but also a way of uh, enabling people to function at the highest level possible, given where they were at physically and cognitively, and to be able to circumvent any deficits they had. For example, uh, how do you enable uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old to put on their own coat? You lay it out backwards, have them stick their arms in it, lift their arms above their heads, and it slides on. And by arranging uh, uh, the task that way, the the two-and-a-half-year-old can put on their own coat. And they actually want to do that. They like to do that. And uh, they will say, you know, I'd like to, you know, do this myself. Uh, What often happens is the child is told, well, it's much quicker if I dress you. And, of course, you see the parallels with regard to uh, dementia care where uh, staff members uh, might say, you know, it's a lot easier if I just uh, go ahead and dress you. Um, when uh, a resident, say, in a nursing home might be wanting to do more things for themselves. Montessori had an interesting quote. She said, everything that you do for me, you take away from me. And uh, that's something that is uh, uh, transforming when people start to think about it. Uh, My wife and I, uh, my wife's a Montessori teacher over 20 years and uh, retired now and helping with our work uh, internationally. We, We had dinner with a a couple uh, uh, whose um, and the wife had been a science advisor to the Prime Minister of Australia, and uh, uh, she had the diagnosis of dementia. The, the husband said, don't call me a caregiver. I am an enabler. My job is to enable my uh, wife to function at the highest level possible and to... Uh, uh, enable her to be as independent as possible, and that is my job. Uh, his wife said, uh, when I got the diagnosis, I was basically written a prescription for disengagement. I was told what I wouldn't be able to do anymore, and I you know, told the, the physician to take a hike. And so uh, it's a way of, it's a way of, of thinking uh, that maps on very nicely to, uh, to dementia, uh, and dementia care. It's it's about looking at the person with dementia, not looking at dementia, but looking at the uh, at the person, and uh, to start thinking in a different way. Um, what what we do in our training is we talk about non pharmacologic treatment for dementia, and one of the first steps is to uh, talk about the idea of thinking about dementia as a disability. If you begin to think of it as a disability, you begin to immediately shift your perspective in terms of what you can do, what you try. Uh, And so you begin to think in terms of how can you circumvent deficits in order to uh, enable a person to function more independently, to function at their highest level of uh, capability. Um, Montessori said, Maria Montessori said that uh, when a person and their environment mesh, when the environment challenges but enables success, you see a process that she called normalization. Normalization. And we think it's a really nice term. Uh, our job is to create normalizing environments for persons with dementia, environments that support them so that uh, they can uh, 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 not have to deal with excess disability caused by uh, uh, 
less supportive environments. We say a person with dementia is a normal person who has cognitive deficits. And that's very important because what it means is if you can circumvent the deficits, what you see is a normal person. And people prefer that. People, It's what any person wants with or without disabilities is to be in, a, in an environment, a situation where they they are part of a community, where they have meaningful social roles, where they're where they're engaged, where they can uh, uh, contribute, uh, where they can be as independent as possible, and where they have choice. And so, in a Montessori classroom, these are all the values that are uh, are emphasized. Children uh, learn to make choices and to make good choices. They they're given the capacity to uh, uh, perform at a much higher level than they might in, in more standard settings. It, it enables four-year-olds to be able to read, uh, but also to be able to uh, help clean up uh, after lunch and to be responsible for their environment. So um, Montessori education goes from uh, 18 months to 18 years, and you can map on different uh, types of activity to uh, different stages of, of cognitive capacity, physical capacity. And so we use that as our as our template uh, for how to create non-pharmacologic treatment for persons with dementia. And uh, when we do this, uh, when we can create normalizing environments, it's a very transforming sort of thing. You know, you made a, a couple of comments that I thought were really good in um, one that I would like to see more people focus on, and, and that is thinking of this disease as a disability, because you're correct. There is a huge difference when we accept something as a disability, when we actively go in and try to change it and, and make make there be a better new normal for for that category you know of, of individual and right now we we just kind of shun it and push it away or try to ignore it or be in denial i mean there's so many different things that are going on and and you know disabilities it's all about um bridging them to um being as powerful and as able as possible and as purposeful and it's just a whole different it's a whole different approach and i think it's a it's a way for people to remove some of the fear that's you know wrapped around this disease as well the the other thing that i like is that you mentioned you know um the montessori method is really a a non pharmacological pharmaceutical um mode in terms of dealing with with life and behaviors and and we all have behaviors that's another term i don't really care for um we usually label thing a behavior when we don't like the outcome um yes. and 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 so forth but you know this whole social approach um seems to really be gaining ground and you're hearing so much talk about um, you know the the psychosocial um importance of dealing with this disease versus you know what we're seeing with the outcomes from from the drug companies at this point. What are your thoughts between the two yeah I, you know I think the kindest thing that can be said about pharmacological treatment for dementia at this point is that it's been disappointing um, and what we're looking at is uh, a very different way of thinking, a very different approach. Uh, most of our training involves giving people new 
ways of thinking about things. For example, uh, what if instead of uh, calling it Down's syndrome, it had been called Down's disease? Mm-hmm. Under those circumstances, would we have seen, you know, special education programs for uh, uh, persons with Down syndrome? It would, if they have Down's disease, would we have seen workshops uh, for uh, persons uh, to be able to, with Down syndrome, to be able to have access to uh, uh, education, to jobs, uh, to uh, the, the larger social environment? I have a an older daughter with learning disabilities, so this is something also very, very close to me. Uh, another way of thinking is what if we called it Alzheimer's syndrome? What if we started thinking in terms of creating, uh, for example, cognitive ramps? You know, we have ramps for people with uh, uh, disabilities in mobility. Uh, where are the, uh, the the ramps, the cognitive ramps, to enable persons with dementia to have better access to the environment, to have better access to our uh, society, to community. Um, in uh, Europe, for example, in Bruges, Belgium, uh, they have what's called a dementia-friendly community. And as a community of 100,000 people, they've made a conscious decision to make their community available to people with dementia. There are stores that have uh, signs in the shop windows, and the sign is a picture of a handkerchief with a knot in it, uh, the old symbol for uh, remembering something. And if a store has that uh, sign in the window, it means their staff have been trained to be able to work with people with memory impairment. Uh, Dementia-friendly communities are springing up in Europe, uh, Belgium, Scotland, and Australia. Uh, There's some start in in the United States, I've heard. Uh, But it is a way of thinking about our uh, obligation as a as a society to making our environment uh, accessible, uh, to making our society accessible to, to persons with dementia. We need to think in terms of living well with dementia, just like we try to live well with uh, diabetes, uh, like we try to live well with cancer. Uh, it's about uh, getting the most out of every day, uh, rather than simply focusing on the deficits uh, that are associated with dementia and uh, uh, believing that we are, are powerless. Uh, it's, it's interesting that the, the choice of words that we use when we look at the, quote, symptoms, end quote, of dementia uh, are, are interesting. In, in this country, sometimes they're called challenging behaviors. In uh, Australia, they're called behaviors of concern. Uh, in Canada, it's interesting, they're called responsive behaviors, and I like that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, the implication is that when you see a person exhibiting a, a behavior, as you were saying, it is in response to an unmet need. It is a form of communication. And so it is our job to understand why this is happening, uh, what that need is, and how we can uh, fulfill it. You know, when a person with dementia is engaged in meaningful activity, they cannot at the same time, exhibit a responsive behavior. This is a treatment. It, you get you get a reduction in responsive behaviors as a byproduct of giving people engagement, uh, meaningful activity, social roles, and a better quality of life. And it's also dose dependent. Um, think of think of a drug that could 
could eliminate the effects, uh, the symptoms of depression uh, without curing it, uh, with no side effects, uh, unlike uh, most uh, drugs out on the market today. Uh, and it has a short half-life, so it works for about an hour. If you had a person with depression uh, and you had that drug available, you would give it to them every hour. Uh, if it had no toxic buildup, no side effects. And that is how you would manage uh, the, the symptom. Uh, we have non-pharmacologic treatment for dementia that works just like that drug. Uh, it is a matter of will we be delivering this in a... Uh, a schedule that's most effective or not. If you if you give the treatment once a month, we know what effects you get. Once a week, once a day. But if you deliver it throughout the day, uh, you get uh, uh, amazing effects. And so, our our uh, emphasis is to enable people to create environments that are normalizing, that enable people with dementia to be engaged in meaningful activity throughout the day. And uh, in those circumstances, uh, you get um, uh, normalized individuals who are happy and feel confident and who are living well. And uh, as a a consequence, uh, caregivers are uh, living better. Uh, Their quality of life is improved. You see reductions in the use of psychotropic medications or the sleeping aids because if a person's awake during the day, they sleep at night. Uh, There's really no downside to this. And so our job is to work with uh, persons and with organizations to to try to enable them to create the infrastructure necessary to deliver these non-pharmacologic treatments, these interventions, in a way that's most effective. Okay. Well, wonderful. I did want to just mention on the dementia-friendly communities, um, we actually launched, I was involved with what we think was the first dementia-friendly community in the U.S. in Watertown last fall, and there's a lot of activity going on. Um, Minnesota's act on Alzheimer's is really getting very big. Most of the states are, you know, starting to really look at this very seriously. Wisconsin just signed on to become dementia-friendly. We're going to be doing big initiatives um, over there. I'm going to go out to Pennsylvania later this fall, who's doing a lot of work. Um, So there's there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. The sad part is is nobody's connecting the dots. Um, And that's And that's exactly one of the reasons I developed Alzheimer's Speaks was to try to get that information out because I think when we talk about it, um, we're able to generate excitement and energy and share ideas and things just happen happen so much quicker. Um, Michelle, I know you've got a question. Why don't you go ahead and toss that out to uh, Dr. Camp? Yes, uh, I was just wondering, um, you were talking about trainings, and I was just curious what other types of trainings you provide and who are the trainings for? Sure. We, we've we actually just launched a, uh, a new website for uh, caregivers. Uh, it's called uh, uh, livingbetterwithdementia, all one word, dot com, livingbetterwithdementia.com. And, for instance, it has... Uh, uh, frequently asked questions page such as how do I deal with repetitive questioning? Uh, what if someone is always asking about have they taken their medications or not? Uh, and then uh, uh, very effective uh, evidence-based interventions uh, 
that can be applied in a variety of settings, including a home setting. Uh, we also do training in how to enable persons with dementia to lead activities for uh, other persons with dementia, uh, which is called resident-assisted Montessori programming. Um, and uh, it, again, we, we go back to the Montessori classroom where older children present uh, lessons to uh, to uh, younger children. Uh, uh, we have seen, for example, uh, uh, resident in a nursing home uh, uh, lead a, a, an activity for 20 uh, persons, uh, other residents with dementia, for an hour and a half uh, without assistance from staff. Uh, that's kind of like the upper bound of what we've taken it to so far, but uh, uh, it's very possible to enable persons with dementia to take on that role. Um, we also do training in uh, how to create resident-driven communities. Uh, uh, we use a thing called the social life template. And it's all about how to give people choice throughout mm -hmm. the day uh, because that is really what's critical for, for quality of life. Um, it's, I always tell people to think in terms of you know what you're wearing right now and uh, if someone had come into your home and told you that this was what you were going to wear today, even though it's the same outfit, uh, how would you feel about having to wear it uh, if you weren't given a choice? And how would you feel about the clothes? How would you feel about the person who said you have to wear it? How would you feel about yourself? So even a little thing like holding up two blouses and saying, which one of these would you like to wear? And having the person point if they can't talk to it uh, to... Uh, talk to make the choice. Or if they have difficulty with that, hold up one blouse and say, would you like to wear this today? It's, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. And so it's about how can we infuse choice uh, uh, throughout, uh, throughout the day, throughout people's lives? How can we uh, create uh, uh, committees of residents, for example, who would uh, welcome new residents to uh, 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 their community? Um, so we do training in that. We also do training in a technique called spaced retrieval, which uh, we uh, we focus on, uh, for the most part, uh, rehabilitation specialists, but uh, others can learn it as well. But uh, it involves how to enable a person with memory deficits to remember new information or new associations, like uh, uh, lock your wheelchair before you stand, get your walker before you walk, uh, look at a card on the wall next to your bed that has safe transfer techniques uh, to uh, uh, be able to do safe transfer when you get up in the morning. Uh, things like, uh, what do you do when you're bored? Uh, I go uh, to my uh, to-do list. Uh, it's a way of putting very specific associations into long-term memory through this uh, training technique, and uh, it's a way to address... Uh, uh, highly salient issues. Uh, how do you teach a person with Alzheimer's disease and osteoporosis to uh, remember to always grab the arms of a chair before they sit down so that they won't uh, miss the chair and uh, hit the floor and possibly break a hip? Uh, we know over the age of 85, a broken hip has a greater than 50% mortality risk. But we can train persons uh, uh, with uh, dementia uh, to be able to learn new procedures uh, and especially to address things like uh, safety. So we do training in, uh, in that and uh, in a variety of other uh, uh, non-pharmacologic treatments. We're also, uh, through our foundation, uh, it's the Frida Joyce Brent Foundation, we're doing training now in uh, 
train persons with dementia to learn how to play musical instruments. And our, our goal is to be able to put together a, a concert video of persons with dementia playing musical instruments in concert, all of whom have learned how to play the instruments after the onset of uh, dementia. And we're doing it uh, exactly as Lori was talking about, uh, to fight stigma and to demonstrate that persons with dementia have capacity to learn new things if they're trained in the right procedures, uh, usually circling back to Montessori methods. And um, they have the capacity to uh, continue to uh, learn and, and do new things. So um, those are... Uh, uh, some examples of training that we have. We also do training for family members on uh, you know, how to how to manage uh, uh, responsive behaviors in home settings, as well as uh, we do trainings for uh, uh, professional caregivers as well on that topic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's fantastic. It's very interesting. I, I love the whole um, concert idea. You know, there was uh, I don't know if you've heard of the the new website. Dementia Mentors, which is a site for people with early memory loss, but uh, the man who actually developed the site, built the site, has dementia. Used to be a programmer, didn't think that he could still do it, and was given the opportunity, did an amazing job with the site. And it, it's quite, it's it's really neat because they're matching up newly diagnosed um, patients with those who have been in the trenches for a while so that they can... Um, totally understand and empathize with the, the the fear and the sadness and the loss and, you know, what's life going to look like and then help connect them on multiple levels um, right. and, and help give them purpose and tap them into to the advocacy. Your, your new site um, is absolutely fantastic, and I did put a link in the chat box for people. Um, again, it's Better, li- um, Better Living with Memory mm-hmm. Loss. Um, or better living with yeah, dementia. Living, yeah, living better living. with dementia dot com. Yep, yep. I'm looking at your tagline here, and that's why I'm getting confused. So I'm sorry about that. Oh, yeah. um, no worries. But it's it's really um, very user friendly and lots of great uh, great information here. Um, you know, on your site. So I would um, definitely tell people to to go there and check that out. Um, I also, um, you know, my brain's running a little slow today. When we were talking about behaviors and and what different people around the world, you know, call it and use for terms and stuff, um, one of the things that I I call instead of a behavior typically is just a reaction. And I try to get... And I try to get people to understand that we all basically use the same formula no matter who we are, no matter what our situation is. But it's our past experiences plus our current attitude create our perceptions, and then our perceptions trigger our reactions. And then when we don't like the reaction, that's when we point the finger and say, hey, it's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. (laughs) And, and, you know, the title of our our program here is, you know, talks about put your detective hat on. And I think that's one of the things that is um, very neat about what you're doing is you're teaching people how to to look um, deeper at what is going on and, and get to the whys of why things are happening. And even when you were talking about, you know, how do you approach somebody about putting a sweater on, 
you know, in, in terms of giving choice and being dignified and thinking, you know, would we really want to be taking orders all day long? And that's yeah. a lot of times what care partners do, thinking that they're being really efficient, thinking that they're really caring for somebody. But when we lose the ability to choose or to really have involvement in decisions, um, you know, we withdraw. It gets old. Yeah. And yeah. and a person with dementia is no, no different, you know, on that scale at all. Um, so, um, you know, you talked a lot about providing training, um, you know, internationally. You had, you had mentioned, you know, Singapore and Australia and kind of all over. Um, how, what kind of reception are you getting here in the U.S. versus internationally? It's it's interesting. Uh, uh, internationally, uh, what's happening is that there's a real push now uh, that I see uh, for non-pharmacologic treatment for dementia. Uh, I see uh, government and, and national programs now that are starting to uh, invest in that. And the reason for that is twofold. First, uh, they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at the number of people uh, in the pipeline who will uh, be developing dementia, who will be getting older, uh, and the numbers, you know, as, as you know, uh, uh, are are very scary. Uh, uh, combining that with you know the number of, uh, uh, of people who are being trained uh, to deal with this. The second thing is they're looking at the. Uh, the, you know the results that they're getting up to up to this date in terms of uh, a medical approach to dealing with this, you know, including uh, uh, reactions or behaviors, and um, uh, the, the use of, uh, of uh, pharmacology as a first line of uh, defense, as a first line of treatment, uh, just isn't playing out well uh, out in the world, and some governments are realizing this, and so. Uh, I see in France that they're starting to really embrace, uh, for example, this approach. There are actually places in France, in the south of France, where if a long-term care facility begins using Montessori methods as their primary uh, way of working with dementia, they actually get additional funding uh, mm -hmm. than if they weren't, which is something of a miracle. Um, uh, in uh, uh, Australia now, um, we're looking at um, disseminating uh, results from research that was uh, conducted at Monash University in uh, in Melbourne uh, to enable uh, uh, family members to engage uh, persons with dementia more effectively, and they're making resources available. Uh, in uh, Switzerland, and uh, there are. Uh, groups of nursing homes now that uh, have adopted Montessori approaches, resident-driven community approaches, who are banding together uh, to be able to combine their resources, their ideas uh, to support each other. Uh, and uh, uh, Singapore is just launching uh, Montessori approaches for dementia. Uh, Italy, uh, there actually a group of people meeting uh, in Milan this week uh, to begin discussing how to disseminate that. Uh, in the U.S., uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, there are some places that have uh, adopted uh, uh, this approach, and uh, there are others that, that uh, still follow more traditional uh, uh, approaches, uh, as you know. And um, 
you know, we have a national uh, plan for Alzheimer's disease, but uh, uh, if if you look at it, uh, you know, most of the funding uh, uh, goes to research and emphasizes the pharmacology, and um, and we'll see how that plays out over the long run. But uh, uh, other places away from the United States are taking a different approach to treatment. Yeah, they really are. I was uh, lucky enough just to meet with a, an Australian group and got like eight hours of their time when they were here on tour. In fact, they're just on their way back, and it's incredible um, just how they how they think and how they work. Um, you know, the grassroots and the academic sides really merge. We're here in the mm-hmm. states, not so much, and. Um, you know, they really get big picture and quality of life, and it's very exciting. And, um, you know, there's more and more of us in the U.S. kind of stomping our feet, trying to get the word out yeah. and changing things from if it's memory cafes or Montessori schools or the Purple right. Angel Project or whatever. And, you know, I think the buzz can't be stopped. Um, and it's right. just a matter matter of time. Um so it's it's very exciting. It's very exciting stuff. What's going on? Um, not moving fast enough for me, but you know, I always think it could. It it was moving a lot slower. So I'm grateful for yeah. the progress that we're that we're making here. Um, I know. I agree with you totally on that. That's exactly the way I feel as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, great, Michelle. Do you want to um, pose the next question? Yep. Um, you have a new book with. Uh, title um hiding the stranger in the mirror uh what is your book about yeah it's it's a book that uh as uh Lori was talking about before teaches people how to think like a detective as a matter of fact that's one of the subtitles is you know thinking like a detective to deal with responsive behaviors uh in uh, persons with memory loss and so uh, for example the title it's it's all done in stories, uh, sort of like an Oliver Sacks, you know, book with case histories. So it's all done in stories as a way of teaching people first, you know, how to ask the question, why is this happening? Whenever whenever we encounter a, a reaction in a person with dementia, uh, we always say the answer to that question cannot be because they have dementia. Why is this happening? Because they have dementia. How do we know they have dementia? Because this is happening. It's it's a circular argument. It doesn't fix anything, and it doesn't explain anything. And as a researcher, that always drives me crazy when I see circular <laughs> logic. So the real question is, what would cause a person to have this reaction? And, and maybe even better, what would cause me to have this reaction under the same circumstances? So, for example, um, the the hiding the stranger in the mirror. And that refers to a, a case where uh, I was doing some consulting in New Orleans at a uh, day center, and they had a, a new client in this uh, day center, a, a gentleman who had uh, more advanced dementia, and he was uh, being brought into the bathroom for toiling on the first day he was there, and he saw his reflection in the mirror, and he said, hey, that guy stole my sweater. And... Uh, uh, he says, give it back, and the guy in the mirror waves at him, and he puts up his fist, and the guy in the mirror puts up his fist, and they have to drag him away, and he's pointing, saying, I'm coming back for you, and the guy in the mirror is pointing at him, and so staff said to me, what are we supposed to do? And I said, well, you know, mm-hmm. the first question is, why is this happening? They looked at me, and they said, well, he's got eh, wrong answer. Okay, 
And so, you know, one thing we know uh, uh, that often happens in, in, in more advanced images, a person may lose their ability to recognize their reflection in a mirror. Uh, they uh, um, may view uh, uh, themselves as much younger than that. Uh, uh, it's interesting. We've done research on this. and We give, for example, a person a name tag in mirror writing, and so it comes out right in the reflection, and they'll say, hey, you know, she's got my name. So it's an interesting phenomenon that occurs. Usually the person either likes or hates the reflection. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll say, I don't want to take a bath. Why is that someone's watching me? They'll say, well, you know, show me the person. They go to the bathroom, they point to the reflection. So in this case, he didn't like the guy. Even though he could recognize his own sweater, he couldn't recognize himself. So after that, um, the uh, staff got a window shade, put it above the mirror, before they would bring him in, they would pull the window shade down so they hide the strangers, no one there looking at him. And he can be toileted, and when he leaves, they can lift the window shade and uh, other people can use the uh, mirror. And so that's an example of, uh, of a non-comatologic, very simple, straightforward treatment uh, for uh, uh, that particular situation. And so you know, we look at... Uh, a wide variety of situations, and we and we try to give people training in how to uh, answer the question. So, for example, um, we uh, we always say the first thing to look for is a physical cause, you know, for uh, for a uh, reaction. Is the person in pain that's not been diagnosed? Um, do they have uh, an infection? Uh, do they uh, is their blood sugar uh, bouncing around? So we always try to eliminate uh, physical causes first. If that's not the issue, then we look at the level of stimulation in the environment. Now, is it a boring environment, under-stimulating? Uh, there you often get apathy, or a person will suddenly uh, uh, do, do something to uh, get attention. Um, if it's over-stimulating, if it's too much noise, too much uh, going on, you usually get fight or flight the person will withdraw, won't come from their room, or they'll get hyper-agitated. And so, uh, ideally, uh, what you want is a normalizing environment, and that's where Montessori programming comes in. And uh, uh, you want to be able to give them uh, activity that challenges but enables success, that's meaningful uh, and engaging. Uh, If that's not the issue, we ask, you know, who owns the problem? So, for example, uh, I was working with... uh, uh, a woman uh, who was taking care of her husband at home, he had Alzheimer's, and she said, uh, you know, when the grandchildren come over, uh, he can't remember their names, and when he can't remember their names, he gets very agitated, and then we all get agitated. And so I suggested to her that uh, perhaps if you let the grandchildren wear name tags, really big print, you know, kids love to wear name tags, and he can just call them by name by reading their name tags. And she said, yeah, but that's cheating. So there the situation <laughs> <laughs> involves a, 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 an intervention that does not involve the person with dementia. And a lot of times to, to, to deal with uh, uh, the challenges of, of dementia, uh, it involves training uh, caregivers or sometimes family members or inspectors or people who write uh, regulations uh, to think in different ways. Sometimes they own the problem, not necessarily 
you know, the person with dementia. And again, that's where that whole idea of everything you do for me, you take away from me. It's it's targeted at, at enabling uh, uh, people with dementia to have choice and to be uh, enabled to be more independent. Uh, if that's not the issue, then we look at the social and the physical environment. Now, do we need to, to tweak the physical environment? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's very common, for instance, if you have like a, 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 on the floor a round circle that's a different color, like a darker color than uh, uh, other uh, um, uh, parts of the floor or a round throw rug that's, that's, that's a different color. Uh, it can be viewed as a whole and, uh, uh, or, or a cliff if it's a straight line. Um, there was a woman who was in, in a nursing home, and when she was taken to uh, her room, uh, when she asked to take a nap, she suddenly got very agitated and said, you know, don't make me lay down on the bed. There's spiders on it. Well, what was happening was that she had lace curtains, and when at that particular time of year the sun was shining through those lace curtains, you had a pattern of, uh, of splotches of light and dark that were uh, moving, and uh, for her, the interpretation was uh, you have spiders there. And so rather than giving her like Ativan or some drug for anxiety, the fix was to get different curtains uh, so that the spiders weren't there. But, you know, it, it all starts by asking, you know, why is this happening and not accepting, you know, they have dementia as the, uh, as the fix and, and or the explanation. And then, you know, you look for the social environment. Uh, once again, you know, is, do we need to change the way people interact with persons with dementia? One of the things that, that we talk about is is a thing we call the can-can, all right? And it's tied to the idea that we want to eliminate the word can when we're talking with a person with dementia. Can you do this? Can you do this? Uh, we like to uh, uh, change that to would you. Would you? See, can is a test. And if you say, can you do this, and they do it, it's like you expected them to, and it's no accomplishment. If they can't, they failed. Would you shifts it to from a test to a choice? Uh, it's a little thing, but it's a very simple thing. And uh, the can-can is you put a can in the room where uh, uh, you do most of your work with a person with dementia, and if you say the word can, you put uh, a quarter or 50 cents if you're in the uh, Europe uh, uh, into the can every time you say the word can when you're interacting with the person and sort of like a cursing jar uh, that uh, used to have in our house when I was growing up and it sort of <laughs> sensitizes people to, uh, to to whether or not they're to, to listen to the words they're saying uh, uh, and not simply say them out of habit so can we shift the social environment and then finally the last thing is can new learning uh, can new learning uh, 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 be a way of uh, of addressing uh, 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 reactions or or uh, 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 responsive behaviors. So, for example, we look at classical conditioning. A um, real simple example of that is uh, if what what would happen if you played a particular song in a dining room, you know, five minutes before lunch every day. Um, how long would it take before, if you're in a residential setting, the residents begin to come into lunch when they hear that song? And the answer is not very long. And the first ones to learn will be telling the other ones, didn't you hear the song? 
And, of course, then uh, the person who should uh, press the button to play the song should be the person who's always asking, when is lunch going to start? So you you sort of shift uh, their uh, emphasis on uh, uh, worrying about um, uh, when lunch is to, to giving them a social role so that they can uh, uh, let everybody know when lunch is. And, of course, the, the people should determine what the song should be. Um, so there's an example of, uh, of classical conditioning. It's it's interesting. My wife was uh, doing a Saturday parent-teacher conference and uh, with a dad, and he couldn't find a sitter for his three-year-old, so he brought the, his little girl uh, with him to the conference. And he meets with my wife, and he's done, and... And he says to his daughter, who was, you know, doing work in the classroom there at the Montessori school, uh, come on, it's time to go. And she goes, I can't. And he said, uh, why not? She said, I, I have not heard the leaving song. And, of course, they play a particular song in the classroom when it's time to leave, and that means you put your work away and get ready to leave. And all of these, you know, techniques we can track back to, to 100 years of field testing in, in the Montessori method. Uh, so we, we stand on pretty solid ground there. Well, that's, so, uh, that's yeah, that, wonderful. And, and, then we, and then we talk about, again, you know, uh, classical conditioning, as we talked about, as well as operant conditioning, you know, uh, antecedent behavior consequence, and then things like space retrieval and priming, as I mentioned before. All of these... All of these tools, all of these treatments are available. You know, the idea that we're powerless in the face of dementia is simply wrong, you know, and uh, uh, that is really the biggest barrier that we, we have to fight against is the idea that if a person has this diagnosis that they'll never, you know, there's nothing we can do and the person, you know, can't uh, can't uh, show improvement in any area, uh, uh I was in a special care unit in a nursing home, and I asked them, you know, give me your biggest challenge. They said, we don't have any problems at all. So I said, you know, this is a dementia unit, right? And they said, sure. And I said, well, all right. Do you have people who ask the same question over and over and over again? You know, we got that. People who want to run out the door as soon as it's open? Yeah, we got that. And I went down the list of the top 20, and they had all of them. Then they said, but, you know, we don't have any problems. That's just what dementia is. I love that, it. That's learned <laughs> yeah, helplessness on a system-wide scale, you know. And uh-huh. that, that is the barrier that we have to get past, mm-hmm. this, this therapeutic nihilism that you know, we're, we're helpless and there's nothing we can do. That is simply wrong. We have plenty of tools. They're evidence-based. Mm-hmm. They work. Uh, they're effective. Uh, this is not about huge money costs. These things are cheap or free for the most part. It's just about... Uh, enabling people to think in the right way and to, you know, start trying to use these things. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you because I'm not sure if I misinterpreted when you when when you were just made that comment. Were you saying that they were oblivious that there were any problems or I interpreted it that it wasn't a problem, it was just part of the disease and some of it they were just accepting and, and, and had learned how to deal with it. So I was confused. No, they hadn't learned how to deal with it. They didn't learn how to deal with it. They just said, you know, we just have to sit and take it. We just have to be patient because there's nothing we can do. This is what dementia is. And so, you know, the the, the typical response is, you know, here's a bullet, bite it. That's Mm -hmm. all we can do. 
be patient and there's you know they're not going to get better and they can't learn anything new and it's a downward spiral and you know it's the, all of those stigmas and negative stereotypes you were talking about you know show up there in in the belief systems of these of these caregivers and as a result uh, you know it's an incredibly frustrating uh, job it's it's incredibly frustrating work and there's this sense of of helplessness and 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 depression and and it doesn't have to be that way. That's the catch. It's mm-hmm. about changing those beliefs. It's about enabling people to believe that there are things they can do, uh, empowering them, uh, making them uh, have a sense of efficacy. Uh, it's like uh, a daughter who comes to, to talk to her uh, her mom, and she says, you know, tell me a story about when you were six years old. And she writes it down. And, tell me a story about... Uh, when you were six years old, you know, when I was six years old, get stories from, you know, her mom that way and prints them out in big print and makes sure her mom can read it, brings the granddaughter and the grandmother reads to the granddaughter stories about when this little girl's mother and grandmother was her age and the, the little girl says, read them again and the daughter keeps gathering more stories and she enables her grandmother to be the keeper of the family history. There's a little girl who wants to go to a nursing home on visits and enjoys it. And, you know, it's about empowering that daughter. It's about empowering that grandmother. There's no cost to that. All it requires is a different mindset, a different way of thinking when you go to visit. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I can't believe our hour has flown by so so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk with you all day. You're, you're doing um, great, great things. But we do have some comments from people in our, our audience, and I just wanted um, to be able to recap some of those. Um, Elva said that she had given a sermon at her um, church yesterday on the subject of dementia called Brain Aging, the New Story. And she said, most of what I said goes right along with Dr. Camp's um, program and it's so exciting to learn about the non-pharma technique. She said she can't wait to review all of the resources on your website um, and the paid services that offers or, or free resources. And, and don't forget his book, too. Um, again, the title of the book is Hiding the Stranger in the Mirror, and you can get that from the website or you, you know, it's on Amazon as well. Um, then Terry had noted, um, she said, thanks for advocating advocating a way for um, medications approaches to treating health, um, you know, just getting rid of those. She says it's always um, kind of been the last resort. You're working with the connection. She wants to know if you're working with the connection between toxins and nutrition at all to improve brain health, if you're involved in any studies on that level at all. Yeah, we're uh, uh, we're uh, in communication with uh, uh, people here in Cleveland who are involved with brain health uh, research and sort of monitoring that. Uh, one of the things we always say is, uh, you know, take care of the heart and you take care of the brain, uh, but also to advocate once again that just because a person gets a diagnosis of dementia doesn't mean that. Uh, uh, exercise and good diet is no longer important. It may be even more important. And uh, uh, and so everything that people do to, quote, prevent, end quote, dementia, uh, mm-hmm. don't, 
stop if you get uh, a diagnosis, and it doesn't mean that you failed. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to get rid of that idea. Uh, it's it's about being healthy and living, again, living well, as well as you possibly can, with or without a diagnosis of dementia. Agree. Um, she, Terry's also asking um, if uh, if you found anything regarding gut back bacteria. Um, she's saying with autistic kids versus normal, there's been some studies and and the guts of obese versus healthy, um, more healthy weight people. Um, have you have you been involved with any of those studies of of the gut bacteria? Uh-huh. No, I haven't been involved. Uh, haven't been involved with that. Okay, because I, I have heard a lot of talk about that, but um, you know, I haven't heard anything really specific. Um, you know, coming out of that, I'm going to see what else. Um, she was just talking about uh, tunnel vision around health, forgetting the connection between overall health and the toxins yes. as connected right. to the brain and how the brain removes those plaques and. Toxins, if the liver and gut are, um, if the liver and gut are in overload, they really can't. They really can't do do the job they're supposed to do. Um, she's also asking exactly why um, they are losing their memory. She says they they're not crazy. It's logical. There is a logic behind their actions, but we on the outside are missing the pieces of the puzzle, which you kind of talked about already um you know on that and then elva jumped in to say dr camp said cleveland does he work with peter dr peter whitehouse um yeah, peter's a good friend actually and uh, uh we've we've done some work together and we always stay in touch so uh we actually have a publication uh, uh that came out last year in the gerontologist uh, uh together so that's that's a long way of saying yes Okay, so um, we're just at our our hour here, and we've got a a little extra time, but I don't know what your schedule is like. But I would like to know if you want to share and if you have the time to share with us um, your recent research projects that you're working on. Sure. We we just finished a project where we trained uh, uh, nurse assistants to do an activity with uh, residents with dementia, and it's a category sorting activity on things I like and things I don't like, uh, using uh, pictures and uh, labels uh, uh, for the pictures. Uh, This was uh, in collaboration with Michelle Bourgeois uh, at the uh, uh, University of South Florida. And uh, it was interesting because we especially looked at nurse assistants from other countries, and we looked at how to enable people who don't speak English as the first language to learn the likes and dislikes to to have a better relationship with uh, residents who are English speaking as their first language, and uh, that was very effective. And we're just about to start. Uh, just got funding for a project to enable staff to train residents on how to do better uh, wayfinding uh, in uh, uh, dementia care residences. How to enable residents to be able to navigate more effectively in those environments. So uh, that's uh, funding the, from the National Institute on Aging, which is a branch of NIH, and uh, uh, we are getting ready to literally uh, have our first meeting uh, with that uh, on Monday. So we're looking forward to it. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. 
Now, we have listed on uh, the radio page um, several different links for information that you have, but there's also a link pointing back to my blog where I'm allowed I can put more stuff on that um, because you have all kinds of great resources for people, and we don't want, we definitely don't want people to to miss those. Um, and again, I, I would highly recommend this book um, that Dr. Camp wrote, "Hiding the Stranger in the Mirror." It's it's just. It's an easy read. It it is just filled with tons of short little stories um, of ways to do and not do things. You know, it kind of lets you know <laughs> let, lets you know um, how to do it. Is there one story in particular in the book that you'd like to share with us before you have to leave? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, a, a quick one. Uh, uh, there was a, a group of. Uh, uh, nurse assistants who had long hair and had worked at a place for a long time. It was uh, May, and they decided to cut their hair short for uh, uh, summer hairdo. And when they came back to work, uh, the female residents with dementia would not allow them uh, to uh, take them for baths or showers because they said, you know, we don't want men to be, you know, watching us. Mm-hmm. And so the question then was, you know, why is this happening? And there we went to you know, the uh, ABCs, the, the uh, operant conditioning. And the A is for antecedent. And so is there something that changed uh, in the environment? Is there something that changed before the behavior that would cause the new behavior? And So if you use the formula, you have to ask yourself, okay, what changed? And the idea was that they uh, cut their hair. So using the formula once again, if you want to get the old behavior back, you have to get the old antecedent back. So mm-hmm. the fix was to get a bunch of cheap, long-haired wigs, put them on hooks, put the wigs on, and then invite the uh, ladies to take a bath or a shower. And under those circumstances, there was no problem because they transformed themselves back into women. So it's it's an example of a, of a very specific issue that was being dealt with that uh, w- was handled by uh, the general formula. This is a way of translating that approach into a very specific uh, intervention. And it shows the power of using this way of thinking uh, and to be able to uh, comb it down to uh, a specific uh, challenging situation. Mm-hmm. Well, the the book is, is nicely laid out. It's kind of fun. You, you know, break your chapters down because, again, this really is about becoming a detective, you know, for solving problems. And so you you start out with know the perp, perpetrator, know the vice, um, gather the evidence, and then use the formula um, to figure out, you know, what what really is going on. And, you know, in the end, you have some kind of examples for people to work through to try to figure out what's causing causing the situation and you know how are they going right. to attack it which i think is great and and then you you wrap up with thank god you're not a real doctor you know which i think is just kind of <laughs> kind of hilarious because you know we all we all want to point the figure finger at why aren't they figuring this out well it's not easy um and we have to always remember that that each individual diagnosed with this disease is unique, as is every environment they're in, every care partner they're with, the time of day. Everything is it, it's all moving parts. 
And if we don't give good, thorough information, you know, the poor doctors don't have a chance. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, you're to, exactly right. To try to get to it, and it's it's very easy for us to point the finger at them, but we really. Um, as individuals living with this disease as well, we have to do our jobs well too, and we have to be very, very specific uh, in order to in order to make a difference. So, um, Dr. Camp, I thank you so much for for coming out to be with us today. Um, if you want to go to the um, Center for Applied Research in Dementia, you can go to www dot c e n four a r d dot com and that's uh center for applied research in dementia um and then don't forget about their new caregiver uh website as well living better with dementia dot com La- lots and lots of of great resources there. Any last message that you'd like to give to our to our audience before you have to have to go? Well, I uh, again I want to to thank you and Michelle for uh, this opportunity and uh, I just like to reiterate uh, um, uh, the idea of treating every person with respect, dignity and equality. Uh, if we do that, uh, we will live a better life uh, ourselves. Uh, and so uh, what we've found uh, in many, 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 many times is that when you learn how to work effectively with a person with dementia, when you live these values, you wind up having a better life yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very very much so. Um, I, I know I found that for myself. I, I was able to reduce my stressors significantly when I stopped trying to control everything. And when yes. I accepted things for what they were and, um, again, really allowed me to play and get more creative, which makes life a lot more exciting and a lot more fun as well. Yes. And so I thank you for all you're doing. It was great to have you on the on the show with us today, and we'd love to have you back sometime in the future. And best of luck to your to your new uh, website, uh, LivingBetterWithDementia.com. And uh, I look forward to hearing all the all the great work that you're doing in the future and the significance that you're making around the world. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Have a great day. Now. Bye now. So before we get into open mic uh, for the second half, I am just going to um, make a couple of announcements for our mid-program highlights. Um, Our last radio show, actually, I did a replay of the Australian team with Colin McDonald of the Star at Lodge and um, his group, Uniting Care Aging. it was just a, a fascinating conversation. If you go to our homepage as well, uh, alzheimerspeaks.com, there you will find a film done about their work. I was uh, able to meet with this group and was lucky enough to to um, meet with the team. There was, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them that were over here. Uh, two evenings in Wisconsin, they were kind of here on tour, went all over the U.S., and I was able to have dinner with them. So I got about 
uh, eight hours of their time, and it was absolutely fascinating, the work they're doing, the passion they have to make a difference, and they wanted to see what the heck we're doing here in the U.S. Um, because they, they want to build a, another model. They've got a really cool one over there, but they they want to improve that even more. The film is called Finding the Why, Enabling Active Participation in Life in Aged Care. And that's really what Dr. Camp was talking about, putting on that detective hat and find the why. You know, why are the reactions what they are and and um you know why why should and how should people connect um how do you give that that um dignity back to people and um make those wonderful connections so Again, that show, all of our shows here on Alzheimer Speaks are podcast and can be can be grabbed. Um, we do have Dr. Um, Al Powers going to be joining us on the fifteenth, along with uh, Mira uh, Botanis, who's the author of When Caring Takes Courage. Both are going to be talking about books. Al has done some significant things. He's very involved in global dementia um, care culture and shifting that. So looking forward to his new book. I also did a replay since I was out of town traveling uh, so much last week. We did a replay for Dementia Chats on driving with dementia. And if you haven't seen that, um, it was a a two-hour or it was yeah it was a two hour no it was just an hour chat that we did on that one we did a two hour radio show that I also refer to on driving with dementia um, which was absolutely fabulous our next webinar will be coming up uh, next uh, next Tuesday on the eighth and um, not quite sure what we're going to talk about we are always pretty loose on that those are free webinars where our experts are those with dementia. On the blog, there are um, several great articles. One um, is just pointing to some great resources for caregivers and care partners um, from ARP. Um, most of them have to do with dementia. I think there's one that doesn't, but you know, all caregiving pretty much applies and, and can be reapplied to different situations. We had a great article submitted by the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation called Exercise is the Key to Improving Motor Skills in People with Dementia. Lots of activity on that. Um, many comments. I posted that to LinkedIn, and I can't even count all the comments and the reposts and things. People really, really um, enjoyed that article. And then there was a, a video that I was involved in with um, Gary LeBlanc, who has the Common Sense Caregiver. And uh, he and I and Harry Urban uh, here in Pennsylvania and Norms McNamara of the U.K., uh, talked about dementia-friendly communities and what that's like. And it's just a short 30-minute, uh, I want to say it's a 30-minute video that was done, but uh, people seem to be liking that. And and Michelle, our wonderful intern here, did a great um, a great little article, that, and her articles always get wonderful comments and feedback on normal. You know, what is normal? Um, Michelle, do you want to um, talk a little bit about that article, uh, you know, normal, what that was about, where that came from? Yeah, um, 
as you know, I work at a senior center, and I've had people just asking me in general what I would consider normal. And it's a question that stumps me because I don't know really what normal is completely for me, let alone everybody else. And so it just kind of, that is what kind of kicked it off. And then I started thinking about, well, Alzheimer's and dementia aren't a normal part of aging. And sometimes people just kind of accept that once you get old, it's something that's going to happen. And so that's just kind of where that came from and why I decided to write it. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Well, you're like I said, you you do such a great job with all of your articles and in terms of engaging people. Really appreciate it very much. We are going to go to open mic right now. So if anybody has any questions or comments, you can either use the chat box to post a question and we'll see if we can answer it or if you want to make a comment, you can always call into the show. Again, that number is 714 714- Three six four four seven five seven. That's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Michelle, was there anything in particular that you wanted to chat about at all? Not in particular. I don't okay. think. Okay. How how has your uh, Michelle just launched not too long ago a memory cafe? Um, at her senior center. How's that been going? Uh, We had 11 people at the last one, um, but everybody else had emailed me. They either had um, plans that they had been planning for a long time, Um, some were sick, and then some were just not things that we keep getting it. We're going to push it out again in newspapers and stuff to see if we can grab some more. Oh, yeah. um, More people for it. I'm sure it'll be fine. And again, that 11 to 15 is actually, in my opinion, like the perfect size. It doesn't get too big. It's still very, um, it's just a small enough group um, to be able to have great interaction and and be intimate, um, which is absolutely mm-hmm. Absolutely wonderful. I I do want to let people know that there is, I will be posting a new film, and I'm just digging through my emails right now, um, that I, I looked at it last night late. I was up work until 3 in the morning on a, on a chapter for a book I'm writing, and I thought I need to look at this. And my friend Kathy Greenblatt and has pulled together another brilliant, brilliant film about person-centered care. And uh, her and Corinne with, um, I think it's Fire Film is the name of her company, um, have just done an excellent, excellent job. This will be one that people are going to want to watch. Um, It'll be used for training. You'll be seeing it at conferences. Um, You know, they did the one with the U.K. uh, group that I just visited. Uh, They have this one, and there's going to be a third one coming down the pike. But these are the footage is fabulous. The content is is just absolutely marvelous. And if you're trying to motivate people and get them to understand the importance of person-centered care, um, these films will really, really help um, on that on that stage. Um, I'm just looking at comments here. Let's see. Elva had noted um, many advocates say that Alzheimer's is not part of normal aging, but I'm thinking more along the lines of Dr. Whitehouse's thinking that dementia is part of normal aging. Some brains, um, 
simply age faster than others and we don't know why. And I think, Elva, that that's a really interesting concept because when you look at the numbers of people that do have some form of dementia, you kind of wonder. I mean, the odds are pretty high, especially as we age, that we're going to get some form of it. And we all we already know that our brain cells start dying off at the age, you know, in our 20s. And so, you know, what really is this? Um, they're not sure. And they really haven't been able to pin down what's causing it. Um, but the thing that we do know for sure is the importance of social interaction. Um, and that seems to be finally getting the attention it deserves. Um, but we can't get people to interact when they're still fearful. And that's where the awareness piece comes in, you know, so greatly, um, you know, in all of this. But but good, good comments there, Elva. Um, I'm wondering if anybody, let's see, we've got somebody on the line here, so let me just see who this might be. Uh, you're live and on the air. Did you have a question that you wanted to ask? Somebody had just called in. Was there a question that you wanted to ask? It looks like a labelle, a maybe a pearl. LaBelle, are you on the line? Oh, no, I didn't have a question. I just came into oh, it. You're, you're just listening. Okay, sometimes people sometimes people don't push the button, so I thought, well, I'll see. Well, we would love to talk to you if you had a question or a comment. So um, I will I will put you back on mute, and if you think of one, just go ahead and push one, and we'll, we'll call you, and I'll do my job right next time on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we never never know um, with that. And I thought, well, we opened it up for open mic, so I thought maybe somebody did have did have a question. Um, I'm fairly excited. I just was out in Wisconsin last week and meeting with them um, and WALA, which is the Wisconsin Assisted Living Association, is is going to be putting out a big conference next March. And we're going to be doing a dementia initiative um, over there. So we had a big meeting on that, which was quite fun and uh, and very exciting. And so um, looking forward to how all of that pulls together. We, we kind of planned out the... Um, it was kind of a pre-conference uh, for our piece that we're doing and talks of maybe even doing an all-day initiative, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not because it's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge conference. But we'll see. We'll see. The chatter is, is going very, very good, and um, I'm getting excited. I'm finally making my travel plans to go out to Pennsylvania. going to be speaking to probably three or four different groups um, out there come October, uh, which I'm really looking forward to, and I'll be pushing that information out as well because I always like to be able to meet with people in the area if they're available um, when, I, when I'm traveling. Uh, it looks like Terry's got a comment here in the chat box. She says, uh, response to brain cells dying may be more attributed to toxins in the environment. Studies used to show that IQ stabilizes at grade 2. Then they found it stabilized at 14. Then the age got pushed up to 23-ish. Um, 
So she says uh, what they've concluded is that IQ never truly levels out or stabilizes the brain cell growth and new connections are a result of stimulation and new learning, which which makes a lot of sense, which makes an awful lot of sense. So thank you, um, Terry, for making that comment. Um, let's see here. If there was anybody else who wanted to make a comment or had a question that they wanted to pose, um, please utilize your utilize your chat box, or you can call in at seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Again, that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. In the meantime, I just want to um, again. Um, mentioned the Purple Angel Project. Again, anybody can get involved with that. It's just the new global symbol for dementia, and it can be used by individuals or companies or organizations to help raise awareness of dementia. We'd like the Purple Angel to be as well-known and as well-branded as the Pink Ribbon for Breast Cancer. Um, you see you know, how powerful that pink ribbon has been people pulling together in celebration of life and um collaborations it's it's pretty marvelous and that's what we need to happen with dementia again if you're looking for an alzheimer's association anywhere in the world check out alzheimer's disease international the alzheimer's studies group has a couple of trials one is uh, their third cl clinical trial for tau another is a newer study on frontal temporal um, lobe dementia and then don't forget the uh, holistic approaches offered by the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Here you'll find um, things not only with food and nutrition and exercise, but meditation. Um, pretty fascinating stuff um, in terms of, uh, of their work. The Lewy Body Association, the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, and the National Aphasia Association all have specific information for certain symptoms of different dementias, and they can be great, great resources for you. And then Music First with Coral Health, um, again, leveraging music um, to really uh, change our moods, uh, make us calm, make us happy, help us go to sleep, uh, help us wake up. We we forget how important music can be in our in our lives. And then Puzzle With Me um, or with Max Wallach uh, also gives free puzzles out um, to people. And uh, the Jiminy Wicked program, uh, again, an educational and fun croquet game for all that's been adapted for those with, with dementia. Um, I think, uh, let's see, Alva uh, has a note here. She said she doesn't care for the purple angel symbol because she doesn't believe in the supernatural, but she liked the knotted handkerchief for the memory symbol that Dr. Camp mentioned. Um, she hadn't heard of that before, and actually I had not either. And, you know, I think um, I, I, 
personally, I like the purple angel just because it is a global symbol, and I think we do need one symbol. I don't know if we'll ever get one that everybody likes, um, but I can appreciate, um, you know, that if 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 you're going to attach the supernatural to that, I um, a, a lot of times people have said they wouldn't even know that it was an angel if somebody didn't call it an angel. So. Uh, people, some people have called it a, by a different name, utilizing the same symbol to to get around that. So, you know, everybody's got to do what they have to do, and we have to be respectful of everyone's beliefs. So, I appreciate your your comments on that, um, Michelle. Anything else that that you want to talk about? Otherwise, I think I'm going to go ahead and and wrap up the show here, even though it's a little bit early. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I know I've got lots of deadlines. I'm I, uh, under a crunch for a for a book chapter. I need to review that one more time before I push the button and <laughs> have a long, long, long list of things to do. So I appreciate everybody's time today. The comments and interaction uh, was fabulous. And um, Oh, Elva's asking, do I have a book title for my book? Actually, this is a chapter I'm writing for the University of Minnesota. And um, this particular chapter that that they've asked me to write is going to be on social media and how that has affected our health care. And... Um, I'm working on a couple of books myself. One is my bald chicken story, which is just kind of a fun uh, story, getting people to think about how we care for one another, as well as one that will be more on my emotional-based training uh, program. So I've I've had one publisher approach me to to get going on that. So lots of things in the hopper, um, not enough time in the day, same old, same old, you know, as as everybody has with that. So, again, appreciate having everybody with us. Uh, Michelle, we'll see you next time, and we will yep. talk to you all very soon. Thanks again so much. Again, appreciate your likes and your clicks and ability to share the show with your sphere um, and your people on on Facebook or LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. Um, the the more we can push it out there, um, having information available for people um, who are in need, the more likely they're going to grab it when they're ready. Because like with everything, you can't force this information on people. But the more normal it feels, the more acceptable that it's out there, and the easier it is to come by um, ups the odds that will get into the right hands when people need it. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Have a wonderful week. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.